Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm. At Qualcomm, inventing comes first. The rest of the world innovates on top of Qualcomm's foundational inventions. To learn more, visit qualcomm.com slash weinvent. Today's show is brought to you by IARPA's hybrid forecasting competition. Sometimes ordinary people can predict the future better than the experts. Now is your chance to find out if you can super forecast. In this competition, thousands of participants will produce geopolitical forecasts with help from cutting-edge artificial intelligence, algorithms, and crowdsourcing. Registration is open for a limited time. Learn more at hybridforecasting.com. That's hybridforecasting.com. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person responsible for putting that white ring on the HomePod. And in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Jennifer Fonstad, the co-founder of Aspect Ventures. It's an early stage mobile focused investment firm that has backed companies including Birchbox, Hotel Tonight, and The Real Real. She previously was managing director with Draper Fisher Jurvetson and is currently a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. That's fancy, Jennifer. Welcome to Rico Decode. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, I've wanted to have you for a long time, actually, and this is my week of interviewing venture capitalists, so it's great to be, have you here. Um, one thing I've started with when I'm talking to people, getting people's backgrounds and how they got to where y- you got. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit of your story, your journey story, I guess kind of a San Francisco way to say it. But how did you get to, you, you have one of the, what I think is the biggest women-founded venture firms. Is that right? Yeah. So I, it's been reported that we have the largest women-founded fund mm-hmm. in venture, mm-hmm. uh, though at this point our team is about half men and half women. Right. And, uh, and yeah, you don't discriminate. And we are, we have no gender lens when we make our investments. Right. We look for great entrepreneurs across the board. All right. So, but you started in a more traditional venture climb, essentially. Can you go through sort of a little bit of your background, how you got to where you are? Sure. So I actually am in my 21st year in mm-hmm. venture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started out at DFJ um, and I was there for 17 years. From college or where? where, where? From, so I joined right after business school. Mm-hmm. Um, through a program called the Kaufman Fellows, mm-hmm. which was uh, a program where you apply and if you pass through the many hoops, uh, the, you, are, you match with a firm and you are a fellow for two years and then that firm decides whether they want to bring you on. Right. So why venture? What was the in thinking? You know, I, interestingly, um, I worked um, on a political campaign many years ago for a year. I took a year off from my business career and worked for Mitt Romney when he was running for the U.S. Senate wow. against Ted in, Kennedy. in Massachusetts. In yeah. Massachusetts in 1994. Right. And, he did not win. And I had been, he did not win, but, uh, you know, he talked a lot about um, building, making investments in venture. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the, he was the first investor in Staples, for example. Right, and so he was he, at Bain, so he was doing He was at Bain it. Capital, and he talked about that notion of, helping to build a company from the very get-go. And mm-hmm. he talked about stocking the first shelves and the first store at Staples. And I had never heard about venture capital until I spent some time with him and learned about what that was like and uh, was very intrigued. And so when I was at business school, um, I spent some time on that and applied for the Kaufman Fellowship and matched with DFJ and was off to the races. And so it was DFJ here in, in Silicon Valley? Yes. Or was it, yeah. And what, what, were you, what was your idea of what venture capital was? 
Um, well, so what I, I like very fast-paced environments where you, there's a lot of chaos and I can put some structure and mat, pattern match around chaos. Mm-hmm. And so I saw technologies really exploding, particularly around the internet at that time. Mm-hmm. And, I, um, and I'd spent a lot of time trying to understand what, how the internet was going to emerge into the market space. And thought that this would be an environment where I would thrive. So you were you technical? Were you did you study that in college? Were you a computer? You know, science? I didn't have a technical background, but I, I'm a very technical person. I was, I spent a lot of time when I was in junior high and high school taking things apart, rebuilding them, mm-hmm. taking cars apart, rebuilding them. So I was a I and my father was an engineer by training, mm-hmm. and so that was sort of my mentality. Right. Where I started um, intellectually and then um, I, I went to Georgetown School of Foreign Service. So did I. Got a bit of a policy wonkish thing. Did we go there at the same time? I don't know. I perhaps. Don't know, maybe. It was certainly fun. Yeah, kind Great of. Great time to be there. Sort of. Um, so you, so but you didn't go into foreign service either? I did not go into the foreign service. Um, I actually went and spent a year teaching in uh, Western Kenya hmm. instead uh, as my as foreign my nod thing. to my foreign policy. A lot of policy. people didn't go into foreign service from the foreign service school. Um, a lot of people did, actually, and the CIA and places like that. Um, you're not in the CIA, are you? You wouldn't tell me. I can't me. tell you. You can't tell me. I thought so. So you didn't go into computing yourself. You wanted to get into the investment of computing. Why was that? I think the main reason, so I wasn't technically trained, so I wasn't doing a lot of coding. Most of mine, was, was, as I mentioned, was more mechanical mm-hmm. uh, mind. But I began my career, professional career, at Bain & Company, mm-hmm. which was really about uh, a lot about business strategy and pattern matching. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I felt I was particularly strong. And so when I thought about, and I'm not particularly strong at management, mm-hmm. which actually I think most entrepreneurs have a, at least a sense of how to to uh, take on that management role. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was much more about pattern matching and helping great entrepreneurs be successful right. rather than being that entrepreneur be myself. That entrepreneur. Although so, it turns out, launching Aspect, I'm, I am yes, now you an are entrepreneur. Yes, you are an entrepreneur, so. entrepreneur as Ron Conway so likes to So I've moved into that startup world in my, on my own in my own way. So you were at DFG for 17 years, and that would make you one of the very few women in venture capital at the time, correct? Or Interestingly, there were more women in venture then than there is now on a percentage huh. basis. So there was about 10% of the, the investment professionals were women at that time, and now it's about Seven percent, right? Which is lesser. We'll talk about why that is uh, later. But so you started there. What was that like? The early days of making investments, and what what were you focused on? That was what years were those? So I joined in 1997. Right. So the beginning of the internet boom. And it was at the beginning of the internet boom. And uh, I joined DFJ when it was their fourth fund, and it was five investment professionals: Tim, John, Steve, um, myself, and Warren Packard. And uh, we had a 90 million dollar seed fund, and we went to work trying to find interesting internet, primarily internet companies, although the firm itself was a broad technology. It was. It was much more on other things. And what were you, what was your thinking at the time of what you were looking for and how you would source those deals? And so your yeah, philosophy, so, did you have a philosophy? Yeah. So, I mean, it was really about trying to find great entrepreneurs. And so you looked in a lot of different places. I spent a lot of time out talking with engineers and on college campuses at Stanford and um, out in young companies talking with other founders. A lot of folks spun out of existing companies mm-hmm. at that time, and that's, yeah. a, that's a pattern that we continue to see today. So mm-hmm. uh, some of the best companies are started by spinning out of a prior technology company. Right. So that's where we, we spend our time. And what did you like at the time? Because that was, that was pretty early. That was post-Netscape, but pretty early, way before Google, way before yes. Yahoo was so, sort of just went public. I think. So uh, DFJ had just invested in Hotmail, so mm-hmm. I had sort of joined just as... as 
Microsoft was contemplating purchasing right. Hotmail, and there was mm-hmm. a, that was quite an interesting negotiation strategy, mm-hmm. uh, a neg- negotiation and, and conclusion. And uh, I was involved early on in uh, investing. In, our firm invested in a company called GoTo.com, which actually invest, invented the concept of paid search. Right, they did. Uh, which Bill Gross had conceived of down at Idea mm-hmm. Lab, and so I was uh, involved in that from the from the very beginning. Where did it go over to Disney? Uh, it was acquired uh, by um, AltaVista. Alta after Vista. it went public, then it was acquired by AltaVista, and then it was actually acquired by um, Yahoo. Right, that's right, Yahoo, and then. Google bought the technology. It was complicated. It's right? a, it was a it was a very complicated uh, right. uh, life journey for the for the company, but right. it was a fantastic investment mm-hmm. for DFJ. So you were focused. What was what was your thinking at the time of what was going to happen to the internet? Well, so you know, I think uh, we thought that it was going to be growing. You know, every every technology wave seems to ex- have accelerated or logarithmic growth, mm-hmm. and we saw you know some of the early numbers, particularly through uh, our experience at Hotmail. As showing, you know, fascinating logarithmic growth, where you would have these clusters where new technology would be captured in one geographic or uh, community cluster. In this case, Hotmail was had a founder that was from India, so you saw it start to blossom in India and then exp- expand out globally. And it was you, you could see how quickly these clusters could could grow. And so we were just looking for new waves of clusters of of growth. Mm-hmm. So. And when you were investing- So for example, we were investors early investors in Skype. Right. Um very similar type of logarithmic right. growth. We were early right. investors in Baidu. Mm-hmm. We were the first institutional investors in Baidu, which is mm-hmm. now one of the largest search engines in the world based in China, as you know. So those types of growth patterns were what we were looking and for. And then you went through the fallow period. The fallow period. I don't know what else to call it, the crash. The post, yes, the post-internet boom. How right. about that? Right, right, right. And what, what did you guys do during that period? So we actually uh, went, uh, we, we were very patient investors. We did a number of things. So I actually was very passionate about healthcare and healthcare mm-hmm. IT at the time now called digital health. Right. So I was an early investor, in, institutional investor in Athena Health at that mm-hmm. time. And I made... Back then? even Yes. Wow. That was in uh, 1999. Wow. And um, and I that was a, a thread that I followed um, throughout the um, early that? 21st century. Was well, I was very passionate about trying to change the way health was to both delivered. Yeah, and you're how still working cons- on it. I'm still working on it. I know. It's just <laughs> astonishing that it's the one thing. It's they're going to change. They're going to change currency, everything else before they finish health at all. I think. I think uh, we'll have a whole new monetary system before yeah, we solve the health problem. Before we problem. solve the and wh- so, so why, but why were you really trying? Because it seems obvious that it should have worked, right? That digital would change healthcare, correct? Well, and I think, you know, we're continuing to see amazing, and now with more data available, we're starting to see a lot of new applications for it. And, you know, these mobile devices enable mm-hmm. us to, you know, both capture data right. and manage and monitor our right. health in ways right. that are still unprecedented. So right. uh, part of it's the way we we charge for healthcare and mm-hmm. how we, as a system, um, you know, still constrain, constrain choice. Right. So, um, and consumers have always viewed, uh, you know, has, and has, viewed their their experience with their medical as um, being somewhat paternalistic. Often it started with your employer mm-hmm. as managing that for you, and then and now it's shifting more towards the consumer mm. based service. Right. But how do you how do you then you know manage that manage quality manage payments manage risk? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the challenges that we're trying to grapple with today. Still to this day, absolutely. Yeah. It's and a, there's also a big early. shift. And there's a big shift away from you know solving 
uh, reactive problems to, you know, you're sick, so you need to be taken care of to how do you think about preventative? How do you think about wellness? How do you right. change that? So we're, we're seeing all of these sort of health ch- trends that are underlying that. So Vita Health, for example, which is one of our current investments mm-hmm. at Aspect, right. um, is using a, an online uh, coaching platform to manage chronic conditions. And they have, so if you have diabetes super significant or- diabetes, obesity, um, smoke secession, um, uh, actually, uh, emotional health as well. Mm-hmm. These are all issues that can, if left to their own devices, can be very um, damaging to your personal health as well mm-hmm. as for an employer. So uh, they've been able to show significant change in behaviors and in outcomes um, right, because you can have an interaction. And as it turns out, if people believe that, that someone actually cares at the other end mm-hmm. about your health and your well-being, they're more motivated to change their behavior. Oh, interesting. And so so you are early in, in healthcare, and then you, you've been through like six cycles then, and then through... <laughs> You're making me sound old. No, well, yeah, well, we're both old, Jennifer. Older, older. Older. Older than we Here were we before. Um, but we, when you stayed at the same firm for that long, what was... Because a lot of people, like I interviewed Sarah Tabell recently, she's shifted to a bunch of different ones. How do you look at your doing that, and why did you do that? Why did I stay? Yeah, why did you continue at a, at a firm? Is that like, do you, do, how do you look at, like the evolution of venture capital, people always talk about it changing, but it really hasn't changed, you know, in a, in its since its conception almost, in little tiny ways it has. But when you look at sort of that sweep of what's happened, and we'll get to you starting your own firm, how do you look at that? Like not the journey, but like what you? Why did you stay at one firm? What was the thing? Because people don't do that anymore. It's changed really significantly. Yeah, so I, I give Tim Draper a lot of credit in terms of being very forward thinking, and as he is continuing today with a lot of his cryptocurrency investments. Mm-hmm. But he was always about how do you, you know, what are the what what can we do that to really drive the change in productivity and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, so I would actually, you know, argue that there has been some fairly significant changes in venture. I mean, mm-hmm. when venture used to be in a hyper, hyper local business where mm-hmm. you just have a group of people, you group of friends around the table that might throw a few dollars into the middle of the table and help mm-hmm. get a company started. Right. But today it's a global business. You right. know, and, and DFJ was, you know, very much at the forefront of, of getting that started by, mm-hmm. you know, starting a venture funds across the world, frankly, right. in which I was able to sit on the investment committees of funds in Vietnam and Israel. And, um, you know, that's a pretty dramatic change to think about how venture capitals evolved. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, it was both, a, you know, an opportunity for me to learn and to grow. And as you know, I did have that bit of a Georgetown policy wonkish thing. Mm-hmm. So I really did enjoy the international mm-hmm. um, aspect of that. Uh, you know, what I really wanted to do, though, in starting Aspect was driving back towards uh, company building 100% of my time and not spending my time on those global um, initiatives. But at the time, um, when I was younger and the firm was growing, I was learning um, a lot. It was very it, so why it was very start- exciting to meet, you know, Robin Lee from Baidu and have right. the opportunity to help build an sure. amazing company in, in China. So why tr- start your own firm? You were there, you were a partner at DFJ. Um a senior partner, correct? Managing partner. Managing partner. So why start your own firm? Yes. So, so Teresa Gao, who's my co-founder who at, at Aspect, who, was a, who had been at Excel Ventures for 15 years, she and I actually worked together at Bain & Company back oh, when we wow. both started our careers. I forgot together. that. Yeah. We worked on the same case team at Bain, four-person mm-hmm. case team for over a year. Um, what was the company? We were working on Anheuser-Busch. What was wrong we were, with them? We were trying to help them better predict their um, beer output and match demand with supply, particularly wow. around different uh, I wouldn't even SKUs. know where to start with that. Well, it was actually at the time a very data-driven exercise, mm-hmm. um, which was very... So this is how much beer people drink and this is how much you have to have made by this. Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah doesn't yeah, that yeah. stuff keep forever? Well, but it's on a 30-year um, brewing cycle. 
oh. at the time. So you're trying oh. to predict, um, and then you're trying to match it to demand a um, by SKU across the country. So anyway, it was a fascinating experience. Wow. Um, and so Teresa and I had, had already had a work. work at Bain. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know. I think you'd, you'd, you'd no, find your way. I don't think so. Um, anyway, so you were on this beer. Yes, yeah, so we had the opportunity to work together then. And mm-hmm. um, we uh, went different directions. So she went to Stanford Business School. I went to Harvard Business School. And when I joined DFJ, one you of the first- such po- slackers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she- was a founding business development um, VP at a DFJ startup. Mm-hmm. And I showed up at the first board meeting as a board observer, and we reconnected right. at that time. And when she wanted to get into venture, she gave me a call a couple of years later and jumped into Excel. And then we've had the 15-plus years of collaborating on mm-hmm. all types Kinds of changes of in, our, in, in our industry and in our firms. And... Um, I had started an entity called Broadway Angels, which was an angel network to um, really bring myself closer to a lot of the spinouts that were coming out of a lot of these tech mm-hmm. companies like Facebook and Google right. at the time um, with many of my friends, uh, Sonia Perkins and um, a number of others, mm-hmm. and was bringing Teresa into that and was pretty excited about how that the types of comp- companies that we were seeing. And I was uh, at DFJ and, and doing investments um, at DFJ, um, but I was allowed to make small investments, $50,000 or less checks um, at, through Broadway Angels and anything larger I'd bring to DFJ. And, um, and so I thought that was a great opportunity for them and for, and for me. But what I found was I was really excited about the companies that the smaller companies. I was seeing and, and being able to do company building again in a way that mm-hmm. um, wasn't so much about firm management, was much more focused on company building. Right. And helping entrepreneurs be successful, which is where I started my career. Right. And um, it felt like there was an amazing change, getting back to sort of change in our industry. Mm-hmm. When I first started in, in, in the venture industry, I think maybe 10% of DFJ's deals had any prior investor. There was the Angel Network was very small. Ron Conway was sort of it. Yeah. And that was still very nascent at that time. Um, but you cycle forward 20 years and you have incubators, accelerators, seed funds, mm-hmm. Angel Networks. Um, you know, micro right. um, funds. And so the amount of capital available to get a company started um, is is unprecedented. Right. But what ended up happening is that we ended up in an industry which was very barbell-like. So you had a lot of money available company formation. You had a lot of capital available to accelerate growth and scale with the bulge bracket firms. But what was missing was in the middle, which was the classic Series A, how do you build a company Right, um, for the next step. For the next step, and stay with those companies through that, lifestyle, uh, that full life cycle. And so we joined, so I thought that was really where the opportunity was. In the Series A. In focusing on Series A and rolling up our sleeves and company building, collaborating with other investors right. to help do that. And so I was talking to Teresa about that at lunch over at Stanford one day, said, hey, maybe we should do this together. And by mm-hmm. the end of lunch, we were already collaborating on what, our, what we were going to do. What, was there any of a, we're sick of these big firms, these big dude firms, we want to start our own? You know, it was it was really not about that. Actually, okay. it was really much more about um, our excitement to sort of focus on this area again, which mm-hmm. is where we had both started our careers, and we felt that both of our firms had grown so large. I joined DFJ when it was 140 million under management, and I left. It was about three and a half billion under right. management. It's so a very different experience. And it was a you know it was a U.S. only seed fund mm-hmm. to a multi-stage, multinational right um, investment firm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So many people, the reason I've been talking about it is the idea of getting small, not getting larger. We'll talk about SoftBank and other things like that when we get back. We're here with Jennifer Fonstead. She is, are you managing partner or just partner at Aspect Ventures? Co-founder. Co-founder at Aspect Ventures. We're gonna talk, we've been talking about her career so far as a venture capitalist. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about 
what she is investing in now and where she thinks things are going. Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm. At Qualcomm, inventing comes first. When they connected the phone to the internet, Qualcomm's foundational inventions created the mobile revolution. And now as Qualcomm leads the world to 5G, their inventions will enable new industries and the next great product the world can't live without. Qualcomm is inventing the tech the world loves. To learn more, visit qualcomm.com slash weinvent. We're here with Jennifer Fonsted. She is the co-founder of Aspect Ventures, which is a venture capital firm that focuses on Series A uh, investors. Um, Jennifer, let's talk a little bit about, we, we talk about how you got to where you got in creating your own firm. Talk about the challenge. How many? How much money do you have under management now? Oh, she's 330 million. Okay, got it. 331 million, excuse me. Which you've had in how many rounds? How many? So we actually just announced raising our second fund. Second which fund. is why I had to do the calculation. Right, right. You head. just finished your second fund. Let's first talk about what you think is interesting to invest in and some of the investments you've made. And then about what's happening. Because, you know, one of the things that's happened is SoftBank has their mega fund, which is now moving. They're not in Series A, but they're moving closer and closer. Um, there's a lot of money in the system. Let's talk about what you think are interesting investments right now and what you guys are looking at versus... You know, some people are looking at cryptocurrency. Some people are focusing in on, you know, SaaS was a big thing for a while. Talk about what you think or what you guys have done and then what you think is interesting. Sure. So so uh, we typically invest around themes and then we see new themes emerging mm-hmm. as, as right. you, you would see typically mm-hmm. um, as new technology trends are cycling in. So uh-huh. about, a, a, about a quarter, a little over a quarter of our fund is actually focused on software security. And that's mm-hmm. because we have seen some pretty major shifts in how people think about m- managing software and security. In the mm-hmm. old days, it was about building a giant wall right. um, and hoping for the best. And, mm-hmm. and today, it's much more about assuming um, a break-in. And now it's about capturing those break-ins and, right. um, and containing them and eradicating them as quickly as possible with minimizing damage. And so it's just a, it's a fundamental shift. Mm-hmm. And also, the types of companies that are using soft security software has changed. It's not just financial institutions and the government. Um, it's you know, Vox Media and yes. <laughs> pretty much everybody and you know on the planet now yeah. has to think about software security. So the the paradigm has really changed the way we think about security, and so there's been a, an explosion of new opportunities. So about a quarter of our portfolio is in that. Um, we're also quite interested in using um, AI and machine learning mm-hmm. to focus on specific business problems. So companies like Troops, which is um, uh, using AI uh, for solving problems for sales leaders and sales managers in, in companies mm-hmm. by um, serving between a sales force and then Slack and working over on a Slack mm-hmm. um, as a communication vehicle. Um, and they can fetch and receive and aggregate information for sales teams while they're on the fly because everybody's working off of mobile devices. But many sure. of the legacy systems are super hard to a- a- access. access while they're, Slack, while they're out while they're out selling. And mm-hmm. so how do you how do you manage that as a sales team? And so uh, using AI in that application has been really powerful in using. There's a number of AI applications for business applications. Vita Health uses that, for example, in um, you know, managing their relationships through the coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one area that we're seeing a lot of interesting um, and sort of tied to that big data as being a theme. Um, using data in new and interesting ways um, has been uh, an analytics pr- framework has been really interesting. We're also looking at a lot in um, blockchain, but blockchain particularly around um, how you use the technology again right. for solving specific business problems, right? As, um, opposed, as opposed to, to trying to you know um, anticipate how this new monetary system is going to emerge. Right, right. It's the it's the pickaxes you're looking at like how to, we're looking how to, we're looking at the picks and shovels picks and shovels rather than the, I think that's where everyone's going to make the money not the 
Yes, and I think we're in early days, and there's some fantastic companies um, coming at uh, a number of different problems. It's, again, sort of a new technology paradigm, and when you have a new technology paradigm, it's really the creativity of the entrepreneur and thinking through, mm-hmm. well, how can I use this technology paradigm to solve this problem? Right. Um, because it wasn't solvable before, but right. now this, you know, being able to use blockchain for identity in different ways can cut out the middleman in a lot of applications and, and things of that sort. Right. So. so you're looking at that. And can, you didn't, I noticed very clearly you didn't mention consumer stuff. Or yeah, so we so um, so digital health is another area that we continue mm-hmm. to think. You know, mobile devices continue to offer that that type of application, and there's a number of consumer elements to it. And even if it's through an employer, you're at the end of the day, it's consumers that are using these applications. Mm-hmm. So that's a, um, a fundamental way. There's also uh, we're investors in um, company like Crew, for example, which um, uses an uses an application. It's, it's like an everyday man's. Um, uh, WhatsApp for for how they manage their their experiences um, in, in a shift mm-hmm. um, workforce like um, at McDonald's or if you're um, a baggage carrier at you know Dallas Fort Worth for American mm-hmm. Airlines and you want to change a shift or you want to grab someone to grab a part for you out of a um, supply thing you're using Crew for that type of application right. so they may have business applications but they're at the end of the day they're consumers that are that are using it using to it do to do things to do their work. like Slack for for those kind of jobs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, but, but no social media, no those kind of, there's tons of applicant photos, things like that, heavy consumer items. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're, we're typically focused on, well, we will certainly do consumer investments. We're investments, investors in Bobble Bar, for example, mm-hmm. and um, Birchbox, as you mentioned. Right. And so we do have um, some applications and investments in that area In commerce, well. in, in the commerce area. And the real, 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 as you mentioned, real, real, yeah, yeah. And w- how do you look at those those markets? Because there has been less interest in those markets recently. I've noticed. Well, so again, you're trying to understand what is the long term competitive advantage of that type of a play. So, mm-hmm. what is it that what what is about their their platform or their um, approach or their business model that's that's different? So, mm-hmm. you know, Hotel Tonight really was was very innovative, which was one of your, which is one of our um, companies as well. Was very mm-hmm. innovative in how they thought about. Um, using data for um, last-minute um, mm-hmm. hotel. I just rented purchase. a hotel. Did, did you? Excellent. Yeah. And how was the experience? Good. It's always good. I never have a problem with hotel tonight. I don't think about it a lot. It's a utility, as far as I, you know what I mean. In terms right, but of, that's the point. It's become yeah. a utility. Per it's unit. always. What's interesting is it's always twenty dollars less than my company's uh, best best discount. Yeah, I it's know. really, and I don't know why. I'm like perplexed. But that's getting back to how you use data in new and effective ways. Right. I guess. But I just still I. Called them. It's seamless to you, but but on the back end, that that's right. a very complex yeah. algorithm yeah. platform to do. So that. so you're all over the the map in these kind of things. But do you, you have do you have to now in venture capital get particular about an area or not? Or you just feel like you well, can- so we typically invest in themes. So we'll have mm-hmm. three or four themes that we're investing in a in a particular time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I mentioned like security software is one that's been emerging. Digital health has been. Which I haven't had people here talk about security software recently. It's not an area that's. Well, so for example, we had a company of ours go public um, a couple months ago, Forescout mm-hmm. Technologies, which has um, done very well in the public markets. But the problem they're solving is they, they can go into a, uh, a security framework, a large mm-hmm. company like Box Media, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want our business? I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm just, I'm, you, right. you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. Trying to protect me. I know. I'm Thank trying you, to take care of you here. So they, but what will happen is that Vox may think that they have a certain number of de- devices hanging off the network, and through the uh, Forescout technology, which is an ag- agentless technology, meaning it doesn't have to—you don't have to put something on a device to mm-hmm. discover it. Mm-hmm. They'll find a, you know up to thirty to forty percent more devices hanging off the network than even this the CIO typically knows about. Right, right. So that and those plus forty 
percent devices means that those are all potential security breaches. Absolutely. I have an Eero thing and I'm shocked by how many people are <laughs> hanging off my network. I'm like, who is this? And I just cut them off like one after the other, uh, which I enjoy doing. When it turns I, can out my see, I can see you taking pleasure in that. I did. It turned out to be my neighbors, my cheap neighbors who are going <laughs> into my network. I must have given them access years ago. And now they're not. No, they're not. Sorry, neighbors. Sorry, Bob. Um, so when, when you're thinking about venture capital, one of the changes obviously happened is the enormous amount of money in the system. Um, seems, you know, you have SoftBank on one end with their giant funds, which I think is, is really shaking up a lot of people. Um, do you think about that a lot, the amount of money in the system? Because there's a lot of money, as you said, in the early stages, and that still continues. That, that's still, that, that seed area is still full of money. And then you have now the growth area full of money. Do you worry about what's occurring with all this money shoving into the system? Um, you know, it's interesting. So uh, I think there is a lot. Of, there's still a lot of capital to get companies started, um, and I think that there is still capital available um, on the bulge bracket end. I still feel, though, as if that that fundamental company building mm-hmm. in the er, er, early stage, where there's some right. proof points, but right. how do you you know cross that right. chasm, or you're right. just cross, right. you're in the middle of crossing that chasm. Right. That's that's still an area where. Uh, you know, it's it's an art, not a science, mm-hmm. and that's understanding the patterns of what may what's likely to work and what's not likely to work, and mm-hmm. how to help those companies navigate that is still an area that that is, um, I think, you know, too high risk for the growth folks mm-hmm. and for the seed folks. They typically try to get all their ownership early on, so they don't want to or need to take on that additional risk at that stage. And right. so that's an area where um, I wouldn't say that there's an uh, you know an abundance of capital that's mm-hmm. that's that's pushing or skewing that um, in a in a meaningful way. And even, so how if, do, even in this marketplace, how, how do you then differentiate yourself in terms of getting into those rounds, the right rounds you want to get? Well, into? so the, so aspect is a little different in a couple of ways. One is that we're highly collaborative, so mm-hmm. we think we're trying to build the right syndicate for the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So we actually work with other firms. Right. So we can lead a deal, or we can Follow. co-lead, or we can go alongside. So we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to get push a certain amount of dollars into a deal or use mm-hmm. sharp elbows to get to a certain ownership level. We're we're trying to build the right syndicate for the entrepreneur, and we're a different perspective typically around the table than they might otherwise um, come across. And so, so what's your sell point to an entrepreneur or a different perspective? Or yeah, so it's typically a different from coming from a different perspective. We often come from deep experience in in many of the themes in which we're investing in. We have um, some of the you know most experienced investors in digital health, security, and blockchain out there today. And that experience lends itself to, you know, good finding good entrepreneurs that we want to work with, and then we mm-hmm. want to build the right syndicate for them. And so uh, that collaborative piece has been um, uh, super welcomed by the entrepreneurs because for them, they don't they want to build the right set of networks. They want to have a different sure. network at the table than, than they might typically get on Sand Hill Road. So that's one, uh, one dimension. The other piece is that we work in teams. And so um, we're not lone wolves. We work as a team. So it's always two or more folks that are um, working with each company. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like double the resources that are that are focused on making that company successful. And what do you think is critical for what entrepreneurs need in this environment from, from venture capitalists? It used to be a very different relationship. You know, it's a really great question. And I think it's what's really great about that question is that, you know, there's a lot of discussion around cryptocurrency and how mm-hmm. Um, you know, how that may change venture capital over time. Yes, yeah. And actually, what's interesting for me when I look at these opportunities is um, it doesn't really matter what the underlying um, financial mechanism is, whether it's a token or equity. What's really important is the exercise of company building. Mm-hmm. And what 
when you're with a company that still is trying to figure out, you know, what what its growth pattern is going to look like, who are its early customers, um, that that skill set of what that what it takes to build um, those companies mm-hmm. is what venture capital, you know, good venture capitalists excel at. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can't think of a successful company um, where it didn't have a really great board and group of investors around the table who really understood how to help that entrepreneur along the mm-hmm. way. Every single company that's been successful that I've touched either at DFJ or through X Aspect or, or in scene, it's not to say that the entrepreneur can't be successful, but it is gives them a huge leg up. And what do you think the most critical aspect of the thing that you contribute is? Um, I think I've seen almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> Such as? Um, just in terms of everything from, you know, how to get a company funded. I think between Teresa and I, we have over five, we've, we've, Helped over 500 follow-on financings. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a getting a company through that process is mm-hmm. may seem easy, but no company ever goes exactly straight and up to the right. And, mm-hmm. and when they do, they still have some rocky periods. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so we're able to navigate a lot of that and have a lot of experience around that. We typically brought bring very different networks. Even Teresa and I, when we came together, had ext- very different networks that we brought to Aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've now um, built out a team of eight professionals. Um, with very great deep expertise in some of these areas, so you can so, then put them to use. So now we're bringing that together in a very collaborative way for our industry, and it's been it's been fantastic. You know, we've have over half of our deal flow comes from is from other venture people. Do they bring that to who send who bring them to us and bring you us play into well. a deal? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that and more about how you, you use the word collaborative a lot, which I don't hear a lot in venture capital. <laughs> and then you referred to the idea of lone wolf, the, which are many venture capitalists continue to operate that way. Um, when we get back, we're talking with Jennifer Funstead. She is the co-founder of Aspect Ventures, which is a woman-led venture firm. We're going to talk about that issue too. Um, I don't know if that necessarily makes a difference, but it's unusual in Silicon Valley. When we get back. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe, the fastest growing home security company in the nation. They now protect more than 2 million people. Here's some exciting news Simply Safe has just released a brand new home security system. This system has been completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, downed Wi Fi, cut lines, bats, hammers, and everything in between. The all-new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible with powerful sensors so small you'll hardly notice them. But you know who'll notice them? Intruders. Simply Safe spent years building this system. They added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price. 24/7 protection for only $15 a month, and there's no contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they built before. But supply is very limited. Visit simplysafe.com slash decode now to order. That's S-I-M-P-L-I. And then the word safe.com slash decode to protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash decode. I want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hold on, I just I just got a message on my phone, checking messages. I'm, I'm, oh, hi. Hey, everyone. Hi, Lauren. Every Friday we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, who did we talk to this week and what did we talk about? We talked with Catherine Price. She's the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's a timely topic because um, of all people on the show, Kara, I think you might be the most obsessed with your phone. Catherine, thank you for joining us this week. What would you say is your number one tip for people who need to have a healthier relationship with their devices? Remember that you're going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. We also had a very special guest, Louis Swisher, join us again as our resident teenager. Louis, do you think that you're addicted to your phone? Yes, very. 
All right. Okay, then there you have it. Well, just remember you're going to die, Louie, right. <laughs> from Catherine. I didn't know if you wanted me to expand on that, but that's my statement. No, go ahead, Catherine. Expand very briefly. What do we talk about? <laughs> only that you only have a finite amount of time in your life. So every time you're looking at your phone, you're not looking at or experiencing something else. So it can be a grounding thing to keep in mind. All right, then. Well, on that, <laughs> that positive note, it was a great discussion, and we hope you'll go to do it. Actually, it was really interesting, and she's absolutely right. You're going to die someday. Um, you can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's too embarrassed to ask. See you there. We're here with Jennifer Fonstead. She is the co-founder of Aspect Ventures. I did mention, you know, it's a woman-led firm, which is unusual. Why is that unusual, Jennifer? What is the problem? Well, so I think the that there haven't been very many firms founded by um, women only. Right. And so I think there's a little bit of a, a novelty to that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Why is that? It's you and Aileen Lee. I'm trying to think, who else is a woman-led firm? Yes, we were talking about that earlier, and you know, Canon Ventures has a number of. They have a lot of women, not women founded. Ventures, uh, scale Ventures as well, um, and uh, and so uh, I think what's really interesting about it is it's uh, we think of ourselves more as a next generation firm, where we're both pretty experienced venture capitalists who have mm-hmm. done a lot of company building, and who happen to be women, mm-hmm. and uh, and it does lend itself to bringing different networks to bear. It does lend itself to seeing. Um, having a different perspective at the table many times. Um, and uh, and I think that's been uh, a hallmark of both Teresa's and my success in, in our careers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's what we've brought into to building Aspect. And we've brought into it, um, as we talked about, this notion of how collaborating and building the right syndicate and and being very entrepreneur first in, in how we uh, think about building our own teams and how we manage internally and externally. So, mm. But there's no, I, I want to get to why that is. Why haven't there been more women founded firms? Is there, is there, you know, you could look at, there's lots of reasons, starting with sexism and, and, and things like that. But what do you imagine? Is it just that women haven't started them or there's a, there's a bias against women from the LPs or... I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I was reflecting on, so I joined the industry, as I mentioned, 21 years ago. And even the group of women, they, there were a number of women that were that were senior women before, there were, yeah. before me. But many of them, for example, uh, they were very senior in their firms, and many mm-hmm. of them were involved even co-founding firms. Foundation Capital, for example, mm-hmm. was, was co-founded by a woman. But... Um, but you know, many of them were never married, or if they were married, they didn't have children, mm-hmm. and so you know they had to dedicate their entire careers to to mm-hmm. building uh, building the firms that they built. And you know, this next generation um, of venture, you know, we've been able to have a family, we've been able to engage in mm-hmm. um, and do our work professionally, um, and and have support within the firms. And so then the generation that's coming behind, I think, is even more fired up because they are. Um, yeah, they're getting a lot more mentorship. Um, there's been a, there's been a real concerted effort by um, women um, in the venture industry to provide mentorship to the next generation, and mm-hmm. so that that sort of virtuous cycle, I think, will continue to to branch out and broaden um, the number of women. And I think ultimately that because women have different networks and different perspectives, um, there's been a lot of studies that have shown that that type of diversity leads to better performance and better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly at, um, in corporate management, that's been shown, and corporate boards, that's been shown. And when uh, when women are, are demonst- continuously demonstrating um, success um, in the venture industry and uh, or bringing in a deal that someone couldn't have gotten otherwise, right. you're going to start to see a lot more um, firms recognizing there's real value to having that diversity in their own um, internal um, so, communities. I get that. It's One, it's the right thing. Two, it's probably good for business. Three, it gives you more perspective and more innovation, presumably. 
But four, it still stays the same. Like the numbers remain. The the as you said, the number went down from what was it? Ten percent to, to seven. seven. Like yes. why? You know, so it's I, I, I'm not exactly sure what the underlying trends was. I think you mentioned we talked about how you know there's always a our industry every eight to ten years you know goes through a boom and bust cycle, mm-hmm. and um, and people leave the industry during the down cycles. And so mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot, perhaps a lot more women that left. Mm-hmm. The industry during the down cycle then um, mm-hmm. has been picked up on a percentage basis. Because remember, these are all on percentage basis. So the absolute numbers may be increasing, but they're not keeping up necessarily on a percentage basis. And so there's a lot of us that are working hard to try and change that today. What's the underlying cause of it? Um, I, I can't speak to that. I can only speak to my own experience. And I do think that we've had the opportunity. I've was, had unprecedented opportunity at DFJ. I was very lucky. Um, I had great mentorship by, mm-hmm. with Tim Draper. Um, I think mentorships really matters a lot. Right. Um, I think that I in, have uh, also been willing to take risks. Mm-hmm. And uh, many people say that women require a lot more information before they're willing to take risks. Right. And, um, and that's... Uh, getting comfortable with taking risks and un- imperfect information is something that I'm I'm actually quite comfortable with and always have been, but I don't know that everybody is. And right. so helping um, bring the next generation along and help them you know, feel more comfortable with that will be part of the mentorship exercise. When you look at some of the controversies around venture capital, a lot of them has to do with sexual harassment and behaviors and things like that. Is that a product of this or just the way things are. Well, I think the hashtag Me Too movement has sort of brought a lot of transparency more generally across mm-hmm. many industries, you know, venture capital being one mm-hmm. of many. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the number of law, we haven't talked a lot about law firms, but law firms also are smaller yep. organizations yep. that, yep. you know, that a lot has been, you know, the the promotion cycle is such that it's hard to navigate that. And mm-hmm. so those, I think we're seeing a broader movement about transparency and um, and I think there's a broader recognition that there is more impact um, on performance by having that diversity. And as that as that gets better understood and people feel they're missing out, I mean, there's almost an arbitrage play, right? If you were really smart, you'd bring diversity in early because you're taking advantage of sure. that. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's more customers in that way. So so the, the smart firms today in the venture industry recognize that they're missing out on an arbitrage play. Right. And so they step in and there are laggards and there's creative destru- yeah. destructionism in our business. Yeah. So, yeah. so where they may you, not make it. They may, so speaking of that, where do you imagine, let's finish up talking about where venture capital is going and where do you think the... When you look at the overall business of venture capital, how do you, you know, you, again, as I said, it hasn't changed that much. It has a little, you know, there's there's parts of it that have changed. There's definitely more professionalization of the seed area. There's obviously a ton more money in the top area. But how do you, the and you, you referred just sideways to the idea of cryptocurrency changing that too. Where do you, when you're thinking about where you're going in the next 10 years, what do you imagine the big trends that you have to watch out for as a venture capitalist? I think the biggest trends will be around um, this new monetary system that's emerging. I think mm-hmm. that how entrepreneurs think about that in a way where they're still bringing in the the company building support mm-hmm. that venture has provided and venture capital evolving to recognizing that there's a lot of different ways of, of raising money of raising capital and basically being rewarded for risk taking right um, which is essentially what equity an equity based right. economy is about right um, you're gonna see that be a, a, a those who understand that shift I think will do really well. Um, because it's, I think. So you're essentially saying, entrepreneurs will be like, what do I need you for? Because you're just dumb money. Like dumb money. Well, so, so the, the truth is, we're not dumb money when you find right. really talented people to help you right. build a business. Not, I mean, 
entrepreneurs take incredible risks and put mm-hmm. an incredible amount of their um, heart and soul and energy and time into building companies. But it still takes a village mm-hmm. to build uh, successful companies. And, uh, and we play a small part in that and in the role that we play on the board but and as what I'm advisors. saying is I think you're saying is you have how, to have that. how we get compensated for it when right. we're shifting. Right, right. And I think that's going to be an important trend mm-hmm. to be thinking of. And, and what about the money that you bring in? You won't need to have, right? The, the whole LP system. Would that change? I think that's 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 a possibility. I think that, you know, how, how that gets compensated and, again, how you're compensated for risk even for the folks that bring um, capital to us is going to mm-hmm. be evolving over time as well. So... Uh, yeah, I think that that's going to be one of the biggest biggest trends. We also have, um, you know, acceleration of data and how we use data in unique and powerful ways. A number mm-hmm. of venture firms are using data um, as a driver for how they make decisions, or at least a fact more of a factor in how they make decisions. And because they feel like they sometimes do gut, right? It's because I like well, it's this. a you know they like yeah. It depends on who you ask, but we like to think that it's an informed gut, but mm-hmm. it's it's data driven based on pattern pattern matching. Right, but it reminds me a little bit of you know the Moneyball thing where the guy was <laughs> you know what I mean like oh that guy looks like a good play. he looks physically like a player that should be good. The old scout That's system. so misleading. It's misleading, <laughs> and then of course. Although sometimes I don't know how anybody makes money on based on looks, but but they know, do. But they do. Does. They all know. do. But they all did. That was the whole aspect of the the data was more indicative of success than the right. Anecdotal. No, I, I mean that's where people find that sometimes biases come in based well, on that for sure. I mean, in a lot of ways, well, you know, people are talking. Uh, someone, I'm sure you've heard this is. When women will have more money in the system of entrepreneurs is when there's a Marsha Zuckerberg versus a Mark. And I was like, well, maybe there was one and you missed her right. because she didn't look like Mark Zuckerberg. You know what I mean? Like she he, she didn't physically present the way you imagine things to be. And so there, I, I have this vision of this small little girl in, I don't know, Tanzania who can solve cancer and we don't. When she's never going to get to do it, she's not. Ne- you know what I mean? She's never going to get the chance. So Lost opportunity. That's what I mean. We don't know who we didn't know, right? Like, but but of course, that's used as an argument for see, look at all the successful people are look like this or they present like this, which I think is you can't prove to something that didn't happen. You can't. You know what I mean? People have a hard time getting their heads wrapped around opportunity lost. That's yep. that's certainly true. And I think that the only way you can talk about you can demonstrate opportunity lost is if someone else finds the opportunity, and right. that's what Aspect tries to do. Right, right. Which is it? So so I want to finish up just talking. I know you have a hard stop. Uh, where you, areas that you really would like to get into, you, you talked about what you're in now, but what do you see as super promising that's maybe further down the line and stuff that you think is overblown right now? Well, so another area that's very promising is, you know, uh, all our genetic code is essentially data. Mm-hmm. And how we think about using that genetic code as data mm-hmm. to solve a lot of health problems. Right. So um, getting back to that the fact that we have this large amount of data, we have a huge amount of data that we're still learning about at mm-hmm. an incredibly rapid pace about our own um, bodies and right. how our bodies work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is... It's full it, of privacy issues and scary issues, too. Probably, but what I find exciting about that is that, you know, because we've been able to unlock so much more of that data now, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to see the capacity to um, use that information in new and novel ways to solve right. health problems. And right. so for me, I think we're really only at the beginning of that. And, oh, uh, I would agree. And it's super, super exciting. Some great entrepreneurs coming out of um, existing biotech companies, but then also um, mm-hmm. out of institutions. Uh, Just the human body is all data. It's all data. It's all data. So think about what you could do I, when you have, when you access a code I, you never had before. Well, you know, I was, I was 
I have I had a blood problem when I was pregnant. I found out when I was pregnant, and when I was getting my blood drawn because of it, one of the people who drew blood, oh, this happens a lot with pregnant women. I'm like, how do you know that? He goes, oh, I just see it, and I'm like. Where is that information? Like, wh- where does that where does where that information is it? It's on reside? a piece of paper somewhere, which is near another piece of paper that relates to it. That, and I kept thinking the data is all in places it can't be. Like, it's not being able to relate to each other or see patterns. Well, but, but bear in mind that modern medicine really was only invented towards the end of the nineteenth century. Like, the first medical school was really the end of the nineteenth century. It's I like one hundred and thirty years old. I don't it's care. Super They're not young. moving fast enough. You know what? I can order like a pen right now, and it'll be here in fifteen minutes. They can. They can move a little faster in healthcare. Well, I think they're starting to. I mean, I think that's what's exciting is once, you're start, once you get access to this data, what can you do with it? And when it you is, talk about the unknown frontier, right, I think right. that we're at the cusp of that. I mean, there's some business, there's some applications, like I was a seed investor in a company called Nanostring, which is a public company now, mm-hmm. but they, they use um, uh, a marker in their lab system for identifying... Um, if you're taking, if you have breast cancer, and a particular treatment may would be likely to be successful or not. Right. They can determine that through that right. whether you have that marker or not. Simple, simple. Sure. Right. But and you're just going to have an explosion. You're going to have an explosion right. of that, and then your, your ability to do diagnosis and not miss radiological diagnoses. Where what do you, you need know, radiologists for? You basically Jennifer, can use that information them. through Sorry, imagery recognition yeah. software. It will will fundamentally change how we do diagnoses. Yeah. Um, Everywhere I go, change, give a speech. So. I said, if your kid's a radiologist, get another job. <laughs> you don't need them, and they're wrong. And they're wrong. They misdiagnose. Chris but they'll but they'll be open, they'll be freed up to do other things. I mean, these are brilliant people. That's they'll, how they'll, technology they'll people. They'll be freed up to do other things. Maybe they'll be, just be out of work. Or or, or, or they'll, they'll be entrepreneurs. Or they'll be to be other things. That's the fit. You're such an you're such a tech Silicon Valley person. Um, there'll be opportunities for all. I'm like maybe not. I, I'm the negative force. All right. So what do you think is over? Hyped in in the in the system. What do I think is overhyped? Well, certainly there's a little bit of hype around cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> despite right. the fact that it's going to change a lot of how we think mm-hmm. about our business and our world. A lot of it's you know getting back to fundamentals about problem solving. Right. So when you when you migrate away from that to a speculative nature, right? I think that tends to lend yeah. itself to hype. All right. And last question: you, you, I always ask people like, what thing? Have you done that's been super successful as an aspect of your personality versus something you've done that you wish you had done differently? If you had to give an advice to young venture capitalists or someone thinking about it. Well, I think that I was really nervous about starting a family when I was young. I had mm-hmm. only been in, in I had only been in venture for less than a year. Mm-hmm. And the sort of press to being a partner, press to getting deals done. You know, there's a real uh, pressure, particularly as a young woman right. in a firm mm-hmm. that had never had a woman before, certainly didn't have a maternity leave policy, and, you know, may have even wondered whether I'd show up again when I you know, right. gave birth. So I thought that that was a real risk that I took. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then I kept repeating that with having four children. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was uh, the best decision that I ever made because yeah. DFJ was super supportive of, of my building lucky. a family. And... Um, and uh, and I'm lucky to have that richness because now I can I learn from my kids about technologies that they're that mm-hmm. they're excited about and things that they're you know science that they're excited so about. So that's the role of your children to ultimate, tell you about technology. Well, but you know they're they're different minds, right? No, they're, I got it. My son in, wrote me the other day. He's like, zero people like Snapchat, mom. Please speak to them about it. And here's why. And he sent me like a multi. <laughs> Exactly. He was right about everything. Right. I and mean, that's the point is they're right. You know, mm-hmm. listening to the younger generation, they're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you, you, we, 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 can never, we are constant learners. We are always learning. And mm-hmm. so for me, I found that I took a risk in that and it's enabled me to be a constant learner and brought, continue to broaden my horizon. What's something that you wish you'd gotten not done? 
Or well, I certainly that you oh, wish that I hadn't done, or just a characteristic that you. Well, I, I, I'm, you. I honestly, I'm a, I'm, I'm an introvert, and mm-hmm. so I, I would say that I really struggled not being able to understand that really early in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think changed the way I related to people early on, and so, so you can't off- bro it up. You're not a bro it upper. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see you doing it. Generally. Not quite. Not quite my mo. So yeah, I'm a brower up. Are you? I'm good at broing it up. Sure, I can see. I can see. Yeah, yeah. So that was so that was a challenge for me. Meaning, what and what did you do to solve that? Just stayed an introvert, or well, I, I think I'm still learning. To, mm-hmm. Even today, I mean, again, we're all we're all learning beings, and mm-hmm. so I still learn how to make sure I'm communicating well, and and um, you know, particularly. Uh, with everybody that I interact with, I want to make sure that they know that I care about them. But sometimes, because I'm an introvert, I get you know I'll go inside my head sometimes. And right, it's always a challenge. Right, and because you're in a social business, right? Ours is a social gig. It is. You have to sort of impress people, either the investors are investing in you or the entrepreneurs you want to give your money to, right? Well, you know, and and the advantage of being an introvert is that I can think things through in great depth in a way that's I think super helpful to some of our companies and. Um, and our team, that's the positive side of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, celebrating and, and, and not, not giving up on the positive element of that while, while continuing to grow is, is what we all do. All right. Jennifer Fonstead, thank you so much. This is really interesting talking to you. Uh, Jennifer is the co-founder of Aspect Ventures. It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes. You can find nearly 200 Eric, have we done 200? Past interviews and whatever app you use to listen to this are on our website, recode.net slash podcast. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. If you'll be at South by Southwest in March, I have some exciting news. We'll be doing some live podcasts there. Vox Media is taking over the Belmont, about a 10-minute walk from the Austin Convention Center. You can learn more at voxmedia.com slash sxsw hyphen 2018. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference and Code Media. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. Hi, this is Kara Swisher, host of Recode Decode. This year at South by Southwest, Vox Media is taking over the Belmont in Austin, Texas, and turning it into the deep end. The Vox Media Podcast Network will be doing some live tapings of Recode Decode, Recode Media, and The Vergecast at the deep end between March 9th and March 11th. We'd love to see you there. If you want to attend, please request an invitation at voxmedia.com slash sxsw hyphen 2018. Again, to find out more information and request an invitation at voxmedia.com slash sxsw hyphen 2018.